What's up, Mzanzi? Welcome to episode 338 of Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host, Octavius Spandil. Now, during the summer, Mzanzi can get extremely hot, creating ideal circumstances for the spread of many diseases. Livestock farmers must be aware of the summer diseases to be on the lookout for, as well as the symptoms and treatment options. In this episode, veterinarian Dr. Justice Masilela shares a few of the most common diseases that occur during summer. Justice, welcome to Farmers Inside Track. It's absolutely amazing to have you with us here. What are the five prominent diseases in livestock during summer and can you elaborate on them? Thank you for having me once again. This time of the year, as we all know, it's the rainy season. So it's a wet season. This is a season where insects or parasites, both external and internal parasites, thrive during this time of the year. And some of them, you know, come with these various diseases that may be problematic to livestock farms. So I think if I had to name some are diseases, but some are like problems that farmers will encounter during this time of the year. I would group them into one, which is external parasite-related disease or problems, and the other one will be internal parasite-related problems or issues. A few problems or diseases that I'm already dealing with them as it is, one being hot water, another one being what we call anaplasma, some call it halsickness or gall sickness, another one being red water or babesia. So hot water is Elithia ruminantium. That is the organism that causes the dead disease that is characterized by, you know, the pericardial effusion, which is the heart, the water in the heart. The red water is characterized by the red urine, basically blood in the urine. But anaplasma can also cause some brownish urine. It's not usually the red, typical red, bloody urine, but can also cause um, um, similar brownish kind of um, appearance in the urine. But it's quite different from the red water. Another one um, is a two-day stiff sickness. And these are all caused by external parasites. And then we've got the internal parasites, which are worms. And some are are like stuff like Giardia and all of those things. But I'm going to probably just focus on just worms. So when we speak of hot water, well, this is an infectious but non-contagious T-bone rickettsial disease of ruminants. So it's seen usually in areas infested by the tick, the embryomal tick. Usually that's the colorful tick with long mounds. Those are the areas that you would normally see this disease. It has signs that what we call pre-acute, which usually they die without showing signs. Or when you happen to see the signs, it would be probably the acute form of it. So that the pre-acute, they will just drop dead. And if you're like, you will see them paddling or some foam coming out of their nostrils. But that's more of the acute if it, if it shows, you know, some signs and all of those things. But um, we vets will usually see a high temperature. Usually on the blood, we, we don't see, like, it's not really definitive on the blood, but we can usually see, you know, some signs of inflammation and, and what's or not. The blood smear, usually that's how we determine, but that's usually our stuff, not really for the farmers. If it's like a, an acute one that is long, they'll usually see it stopping to eat. So would, it's usually because of the fever. So it, it will stop eating, becoming sort of weak, it will go down sometimes. Because it, it can get to the brain. The infection can actually get to the brain. They can start seeing neurological signs. The cow appearing like it's a toxic or wobbly, bumping into things. You then go down, seems like it's paralyzed. But the typical sign will be 
lying on the on ground on its side and pedaling. So that's usually it dies pedaling with some foam coming out of the nostrils. Usually if you catch it early, well, you can treat it with what we call oxytetracycline. There is a lot of products that are produced under oxytetracycline, but also, also doxycycline can also treat these diseases. For each disease, can you share some common signs a farmer would be able to recognize for the potential disease? With hot water, usually because of the fever, they will stop eating, they will become a bit weak. Usually they die peddling with some foam coming out of the nostrils. Those will be usually the signs that a farmer would observe with hot water. And a plasma usually shows similar signs because it usually the disease affects the blood and then the immune system destroys the blood. So there is what we call anemia, but you know, the farmers usually don't see that, but because of the destruction of the blood, then they will have also the fever and they stop eating. So usually with these diseases, with fevers, they stop eating because of the fever. So and they look a bit weak, dull, and a bit depressed. Usually you can't tell the difference between these tick-borne diseases with regards to diseases like Babesia, which is the red water one, characterized by the red urine. So the, the farmers can see red or bloody urine, it's what we call hematuria, that's the blood in the urine. So that's what they can see and differentiate. The signs do overlap, they are similar because they trigger similar pathways or destructions within the body and trigger maybe a similar response uh, with regards to immune response within the body. So yeah, red water, at least at a particular stage, you can see the urine in the blood. There's also another one called three-day stiff sickness. The usual sign is the stiffness. So they will be usually stiff or they will have what we call lameness or limp. It starts from the back legs. Or they will just go down and be down for a few hours sometimes. Or sometimes up to even a week, they will be like down and seem a bit paralyzed or painful to stand. Because yeah, it causes a lot of inflammation in the joints and the muscles, all of that. Today I was dealing with a case that is possible. We did not, we couldn't confirm, but it's possible. What happened is two cows were sort of stiff in their back leg and painful. So they had that, they were that limping lameness as they were walking. Or they can just go down. I've had them going down and staying down for ranging from hours to days to a week. And then you'll have the worm. Worms usually, they will be associated with loss of body weight. I mean, poor body condition. Some diarrhea. If it's small stock, some bottle jaw. That is a bit of swelling just under the jaw or under the chin. So you'll see what we call bottle jaw. Uh, some of them will have even the worm and the diarrhea. So you can observe things like that, but poor body condition, you know, sort of that ruffled hair coat, not smooth and shiny kind of a coat. All of those things will be like chronic body loss and or chronic, chronic means long-term, kind of happening for a long-term disease. I mean, I mean, diarrhea that keeps on coming back or staying there for a long time. I mean, diarrhea can also still be caused by other things like your diet and sudden changes in diet, but worms should be part of the things you think about if you are having these diarrheas in your farm and the poor body condition sort of thin. You can see bones and, and ribs and, and then all of those things. So you can start thinking worms. That in combination with the season, whereas if you're from dampy or wet areas, they are more prevalent there. But with green pastures also, I mean, worms are also prevalent. So yeah, linking the season and time and the clinical sign that you are seeing, you can sort of try and deduce what could be the problem in your farm. How can the diseases be prevented? What are those steps? How can farmers do things to prevent the diseases from entering the environment? With external parasite control, the best thing is to obviously control the parasite. That is by dipping. 
There are various tips that you can use ranging from, you know, the pour on or the ones that the water base, because the pour on the, the oil base that you pour on, usually on the back line of the kettle, if it's kettle, the armpit and under tail, or, you know, if it's the sheep and then the small stock, you can use the various tips that are available out there. And some of them have like your plunge dips. Well, they just mix the water. Obviously, you must make sure the ratio between the dip and the water is accurate so that you are able to have the best results or you avoid things like your toxicity because if you put it in a lot of deep in there, you can end up killing your own livestock. I've had livestock whereby farmers put in or they use a combination of the plunge deep with the pot on and they end up causing some toxicities in their livestock and losing a few of them. Farmers must be careful around those things. But yeah, that's the best preventative way, dipping your livestock on a regular base Regular base, not meaning like every day or every week. Usually in summer, I would, as a general rule, say around about two weeks because you don't want to clean them out. You still want them to be exposed to the tick and actually have some amount of the tick within the body so that the tick can infect it so that the animal can develop the immunity against the tick-borne disease, the disease from the tick. So you don't want to have them clean at all times. So you do want them a little bit of, of, of the ticks to climb up and, you know, infect it for the immunity part of it. But you don't want a high burden to overwhelm cattle or whatever livestock that you have. Be careful around that. Usually, yes, you would need to get some advice from a vet to sort of guide you because we also have issues like resistance. Farmers are using medication either wrongly or using it for over a long time. So now the ticks have developed some sort of resistance against that type of active ingredient within that deep. Uh, therefore, it's important to change the deep from time to time or seek advice around these things like resistance because you will dip them, but you will still have high bed and then you're wondering, these cows or whatever livestock have you know, these abscesses from these ticks, some of them even to a point of getting sick and dying from this, but you are doing things right. Sometimes it's because there's resistance in your farm. Therefore, we have to deal with the resistance so that going forward, you are able to control the tick burden within your livestock. Also, worms, yes. Uh, with worms, I usually advise that we do what we call egg flotation. So that's what we do as vets. Like we check the eggs. The egg will tell us what type of worm is in there or what type of a worm is. So we do egg count. Tell us what type of worm is there. Is it high burden? Is it amount? And then from there, we advise the farmer based on our findings to say, this is the type of worm. Therefore, you can use these products with these active ingredients to sort of deal with that type of worm because worms are different. They're different worms that are there causing havoc. As a farmer, know what you're dealing with. That advises you or guides you in how and what to use in order to control the burden that will be mostly present in your farm. In order for a farmer to to be practically in a space where they're going to know that in summer they've their herd is going to be in a great environment and their herd is going to be in good health. What are some of those things that farmers should have in place equipment-wise to ensure yeah. the security is in tip-top, yeah. not shape? You'll have to plan ahead. You are able to plan ahead if you've got programs in your farm, that is schedules, that is dipping and deworming programs or schedules, vaccination programs and schedules. For instance, now we are going into winter, there is, you know, three stage stiff sickness, which you can vaccinate for. Another disease that I, I probably should make mention of is lumpy skin, which is very, 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 very common. 
So you can also vaccinate for diseases like that. So having a program that you are following allows you to plan ahead, budget accordingly, because budgeting is one of the most crucial things to do as a farmer. So you need to budget ahead for the vaccines, budget ahead. Now we're talking about regular, more frequent dipping. So that means that needs to be budgeted for. And you know, every maybe every two weeks you are you, you are vaccinated. I mean, or you are dipping or your kettle, you need so much dip and so much dip costs so much. So you need to have those programs that sort of guides you and allows you to plan ahead. And you need guidance with regards to also the diseases of your area. Know what diseases is present in your in your area and you, know, you can either uh, check on the net or consult with your veterinarian to sort of guide you because we do have some databases with regards to certain areas to say here around this time we've got these problems this disease that appears and all of those things so we've got records that we can go back to and check you know the prevalent diseases within your area now if you know the prevalent diseases you are able to sort of pinpoint in your planning to say these are the diseases I need to worry about. I don't have to worry about those other ones, although I still need to keep an eye on. So now you can sort of narrow, you don't have to maybe protect against or vaccinate against, you know, 10 diseases. You can now narrow the diseases to like well, uh, three um, diseases, you know, because you know that these diseases are the important diseases in my area. So those are the important things that can guide you and show that. What's it goes to biosecurity? I mean, vaccination is part of your biosecurity. Internal parasite control, external parasite control is part of your biosecurity. Then from there, we move to where are you sourcing your your livestock? Is it a reliable source? Are they vaccinated? Do you have history and records for these animals that you are bringing in into your farm? We've had sometimes bicattle around this time. They coming from say a hot water prevalent area into a not so hot water prevalent area, and they coming with you know hot water ticks and. The cattle within this area are not so immune against hot water. And because of the teeth that they are being caught in, you find that some start dying and you're wondering what's happening. You no, know, these cattle that you've brought and mixed with your livestock are coming with these, you know, teeth. They are not sick simply because they are immune against the disease. But your cattle in this area are not immune because the teeth is not present here. So they, it's being brought by this. Sometimes these things will come with through feed. You know, those bale of bales being, being bought from, you know, areas with, with ticks that are not in this area and your cattle in this area are not so immune against those diseases caused by those ticks. And when that bale comes into your farm, it comes with those ticks. And so those are things that farmers need to be careful and be on the lookout, things that can introduce diseases. Because biosecurity is aimed at the introduction of the organism of the disease into the farm. So that is where you're sourcing stuff. These um, auctions, you know, the history, where is it coming from? Where has it been? What has been done on it? Mars, you must be, you know, aware of these things. And yeah, have the programs and sort of follow the programs, implement them, be faithful in implementing them to ensure that, you know, preventative is always better than cure. I really enjoy it when a farmer calls me for a general concern because through a general concern, we can have a plan, can develop programs, and then... Those programs are going to be used to prevent the occurrence of these issues and problems and diseases in the farm. Thanks so much, Dr. Justice Masilela. For more on the topic, visit www.foodformzanzi.co.za. And this week, we celebrate hashtag soil sister, Mola Bahang Kasimukiri. In the heart of a journey lies a profound shift 
one from the corporate hustle to the rich, fertile embrace of agriculture. Her story is about more than just changing careers. It's a testament to resilience, community, and a commitment to nurturing growth. So that's challenge number one. Without electricity, we are not able to irrigate the way we want. So uh, we rely a lot on the rain. And that's a huge risk that we really have to find ways to mitigate against. Another challenge that we have is staff housing. We don't have staff housing. The challenge this presents is that the farm is like a little bit in the outskirts. And so you can't find reliable, good people to come and work for you because they need transportation, which, you know, we can't really provide. So to be able to get like good staff members that will last, you know, a while is a challenge because if you don't provide accommodation for them, where are they coming from? Molibahang is one of the phenomenal women selected to participate in the hashtag 2023 Soul Sister program. Catch a full interview on www.foodformzanzi.co.za and on the Foodform Zanzi's YouTube channel. And that's it, app. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. From me, Octavius Pandil, our technical producer, vegan funded friend, and the rest of the hashtag FoodformZanzi. Thanks for listening. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.